Good morning. Appreciate that song by Brother Michael, Seeking the Lost. That's a lot about what we're going to speak on this morning. In fact, we've entitled uh, the, the sermon this morning, Lost and Found. As we have been talking over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the life of Jesus, the last few weeks and months of his life. We started at Lazarus's resurrection where the Pharisees made the decision to move to kill Christ, to kill the Master. We started at that point. We're going to go on until uh, the garden, and uh, we're going to just walk the paths that Jesus walked. And today we um, land in Luke chapter 15. Appreciate the reading by Brother Jacob. Appreciate the prayers from Brother John. I, I, I've studied, uh, thought about this a lot this week, pulled this together. So we're going to talk about this, this what's called the parable of the lost. There's a lost there's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, and we just read the long story of the what's called the prodigal son. I've got a picture of two sons up there because as you listen to that story, you can realize that there was really two boys that had a problem there. One got angry at the end, and so we're going to talk about that, uh, that whole story as it's found in Luke chapter 15. And we want to begin by spending some time understanding the setting of this story because I think that's vital to us understanding why he would talk about some coins that are lost and some sheep that's lost and this son that had an issue with his dad and left and came back. And so it's important to understand the context of those stories, the settings of what's going on. And so it starts off in the very first verse of that chapter 15, and it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So we see two groups of people here talked about very early on. We talk, he talks about, there's a little echo. He talks about the tax collectors and the sinners, and he talks about the Pharisees and the scribes. And we're going to look at these two groups because the whole time that Jesus is walking this road, there are a lot of times that these, these groups are around him and they appear around him. And so it's, just kind of, it's important that I think we understand what's going on here. And because of the heart of the Pharisees and the scribes and because what they say, Jesus looks at this as a teaching moment. It's an opportunity for me to teach these people because they're grumbling. And he's, he, I don't know if he hears it, senses it, or whatever. He is God, so he doesn't have to actually be in earshot. But he realizes that these scribes and Pharisees are bringing up some opposition to the stuff that he is doing. And so he takes this as an opportunity to teach. And he's going to teach, on, he's going to teach them about the heart of God. He's going to teach them about what, how God looks on people. All of these groups, the scribes, the Pharisees, the sinners, all of the, uh, all of the groups that are there with him. And he's going to use these stories to try to sneak around the, the gates and the guards and the hardness of their heart to try to get them to open up and to think a little bit differently. Now, we know that for sinners and the tax collectors, he's pretty successful. For the scribes and the Pharisees, their hearts are so hardened. They're so deeply entrenched in their traditions. And that's what this whole chapter is really about. It's really about these scribes and Pharisees that are so entrenched in their traditions that they can't see around the sin and the, the things that are right there in front of them. And so we'll circle back to that at the end of the lesson today and say, okay, what is that? 
What does that mean for us? How do we take that? How do we move forward with uh, these stories for us today? <clears throat> so let's think about these two groups of people. You've got the, um, the tax collectors and the sinners. How do they approach this? So Jesus is very patient with them. Um, and you see that through his ministry on the road. He doesn't um, shoo them off, although there are times when he says, you know, let me get in the boat and get a little distance from you. He's always there with them. And there's some importance to this phrase that says that he eats with them or he dines with them. Because just like we would today, you, you don't go out typically and have lunch with people that you don't like or that are your enemies, right? Generally, you go out to eat. Now, I've had to have lunch with some people that I was having issues with. But generally, you're going out to eat with somebody is a litmus test that you approve of them or you want to be around them. or you. And, and so it's no different here in this culture. When Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees are looking at that as going, he is rubber stamping that that's okay. And that bothers them. That gives them a lot of issues with Jesus and his teaching. So he drinks with them, he eats with them, he dines with them, he attends to their illnesses, he's, uh, he's cured them. He lingers with them, he doesn't shoo them off. And so understanding that is important to the, to the setting. Now what about group two? So the group two are these Pharisees and these scribes. They're the ones that are murmuring here against him. They're the ones that are uh, not on his side since the raising of Lazarus. They have said, hey, we're going to kill him. That's our goal. That's where, that's where they're going. <clears throat> well, Jesus is still patient with them. He's not, he's not going to just say, forget about the scribes and the Pharisees. He's about to teach a whole chapter to these people that have already made the decision to kill him. He's patient with them. He's still loving towards them, <clears throat> just like he is with group, group one. But they view, they view Jesus differently. They view him as a nuisance. They view him as a problem that they've got to overcome. That's why they're going to kill him. They view him as an interloper. That means somebody that's uh, faking it or somebody that's saying one thing, and, but, but that's not who they are. They're, they're not real. <clears throat> and so what is that? So when we bring all that together, we have these two groups. <clears throat> the Pharisees think Jesus intentionally dirties himself. They're thinking that he's taking on these sins of these people and that, that, he's, that they're eating with. But what they don't realize is he's there for them too. That's what he's going to tell them in this story. I'm seeking all the lost. I'm not just sinners. I'm seeking all the lost. And hey, guess what, Pharisees? You're part of that group, even though you think you're not. <clears throat> He calls everyone equally to repent and to join. And this group, traditionally, through, the, through, this, through this walk to the cross that Jesus makes, traditionally the scribes and the Pharisees don't accept him. There are exceptions, and we read about them in the Bible as well. <clears throat> so let's read about these uh, first two parables. These are ahead of the parable that Jacob read us. So before he talks about the prodigal son, he talks about the sheep, and he talks about the coin. It says, so he told them this parable. Again, why did he tell them this parable? He told them this parable because the scribes and the Pharisees were murmuring, murmuring against him and thought that he was all about these sinners and condoning what the sinners were doing. So he told them this parable. When, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he, was, if he has lost one of them, 
does not leave the 90 and 9 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety and nine righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she lose one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, and when she has found it, she get calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so one of the things we do in our studies, at least over the last couple of months in uh, Corinth, is at, at my house in Corinth, for those of you, we're, not, we're the third Corinthians, I guess, or something like that. But um, some of you are visiting, and you might go, Corinth, what's he talking about? But there's a little town not too far from us here that's called Corinth, and that's where I live. And so we study there on Wednesday night. And one of the things we do is when we read something like that, we go, okay, what are the things that we can observe from that passage? And so I want to do that real quick. Both of those stories talk about basically something is lost, that there's a search for that, and that it is found. So that's the basis of the story. And that's also the basis of what's going to happen in um, the prodigal son. But it gets a little bit more complex. So Jesus has come to find the one. That's important for us to understand. In both of those stories, one time there's 99 sheep. He goes to find the one. In the other, in the other story, there's uh, 10 coins. Nine of them, he knows, the, the lady knows where they are. One of them, she doesn't, and she goes to find the one. So it's important for us to understand that he searches out the lost, especially, and even those that don't know they're lost. He's come to save them. But here's something that I uh, realized as I was studying this. The seeker, in this case the master, in this case Jesus, leaves a lot to go save the one. Jesus left heaven. He left his father. He left the throne to come and save the one. Now one is a metaphor for all of us. He didn't come down here just to save one person. He came down here to save his people. He left a lot to come and save the one, to find the lost. <clears throat> so, um, before I get to that, so those are the, uh, the observations of uh, the, 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 the sheep or the lost lamb and the lost coins. Since Jacob has read this, I just want to highlight this. So this, we're going to move on to talk about the prodigal son, and we're going to break that into two pieces. We're going to talk about the younger son, which is kind of the first half of what Jacob read, and then the older son. And so I just want you to know from that story that there was two sons, that the younger gathered all that he had, and he took it into a far country. He got his, his uh, earthly possessions from his dad, his inheritance. And he began to be in need, and he longed to be fed with the pods that the pig did eat. And he came to himself. He arose and came to his father. He said, Father, I have sinned. And his father said, My son was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is found. So that's the basis of the, quickly, the basis of the story for this, um, for this young for this young um, son that left his father. So how is that the same? How is that different from the other stories that, that we just read? 
with the parable of the coins and the parable of the sheep, they, they help us they help us to prepare for this parable. Because again, there's something lost and there's something found, but the seeking is a little different here. This one's a little bit more complex. The others was a coin and a lamb. This is a person. The person's got a got a head on the shoulders. They've got knowledge of what's going on. They're different than the lamb or the sheep. This one's a little bit more complex. This time, the thing that is lost, there's no accident. The son came to his father and said, give me my, my inheritance. The son made a decision to leave home and go into a far country, to go into a sinful life. He made a willful decision. He's not a coin that's been misplaced or a lamb that's wandered off from the herd. Or do they call, they call it a flock when you're talking about sheep, don't they? They've wandered off from the flock. I'm a cattleman. I call them a herd, but the, their flock. This, this son has willfully left a relationship with his father. So there's a little bit more complex, a little bit more, um, a little worse, I guess, if you would say. But what it does is it gives us hope. So this is the person that's the sinner. This is a person that comes to themselves and realizes they're a sinner. Again, remember our setting. Do you think this is the tax collectors and the sinners or the Pharisees or both that he's talking to here? Obviously, 2,000 years later, he's talking to us too, but he's very pointed as to why he's telling these stories here. He's talking to people that have willfully decided to sin and then have realized that and come to themselves. So he's talking to anyone that's willing to repent. So let's talk about the older, the older brother that stayed home for a moment, because I think it's uh, I think this kind of brings it all together. Um, so there was an older son. He ends up he's angry. He refuses to go in. So when he finds out his brothers come home, his brothers been welcomed back into the fold. His brothers having a party in the house. He's angry about that. He won't go in. His father, he says, look, these he tells his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your commands yet. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. This young brother's mad. This young brother is telling his father all the stuff he's done for him. But he's mad. He's no better off than the younger brother that left. And went and wasted his stuff on riotous living. He doesn't love his father. He loves his father's things just like his younger brother did. He said, you never gave me a fatty calf. You never did all this for me. I mean my self-righteous. Now who do you think he's talking to? Scribes, Pharisees, or sinners and tax collectors? This is directed squarely at the Pharisees, isn't it? The self-righteous those scribes, those Pharisees that would beat their chest and thank God that they're not like other men. In fact, that happens in Luke chapter 18, a few, a few chapters later than this. <clears throat> so some observations on the older son. He stayed with the father, but his obedience was self-righteous. You can tell that from his answer to his father. Now, as I said, this was directed squarely at the... Uh, at the Pharisees, the older brother, he's, he's composed, he's obedient, he stays home, he does everything that he's supposed to do, but inside, 
It's all about him. There's selfishness and manipulation of his father. Now, I'm not going to go in there, Father. You never killed for me the fact that he's going to manipulate his father. <clears throat> all the father was trying to do was show him grace and push him into the home with him and his brother. He's trying to get him back into the fold. Come on, son. Your brother, man, he's, everything I've got left is yours. I'm just having a party to welcome your son back. Come on in the house. Welcome him. Be a part of the team. Older brother or Pharisee, scribe, be a part of the team. It's about salvation. <clears throat> so what was the point? <clears throat> so as we read this, this these, these three uh parables as we read this story of the the Lord is is talking to the Pharisees and he's talking to them about their heart and he's comparing his heart to theirs he's saying I left heaven I came down here to save the one I came down here to save the lost I left my father and you guys don't get it you're all about your own righteousness your self-righteousness the law says fast. You say, I'm going to fast three times a week because I'm that much better than everybody else. You start getting all these traditions to make yourself look better when all I ever wanted you to do was worship me and love me and give me your heart. Who should have gone searching for the younger brother? I mean, I think there's a lot that could have gone, but... Maybe the self-righteous older brother instead of being self-righteous at home and beating his chest about all he was doing. Maybe he should have gone and looked for the... Maybe he should have gone and looked for his younger brother if he loved him. That's what the Lord was... That was his point. Hey, Pharisees, think about this differently. <clears throat> so there are a couple of lessons here that are overarching. One is that self-righteousness is death. And that's, that is what he is trying to convince the Pharisees of. And so when we think about self-righteousness, we think about the Pharisees that were sitting there listening to these stories, we think about the older brother and his reaction to the father and to the son coming home. It's caused by comparing ourselves to the wrong standard. That's what self-righteousness is. I can go to work and I can compare myself to people that don't go to church or having relationships that they shouldn't have that are going places they shouldn't go. And I can start feeling pretty good about the fact I hadn't missed a Sunday service in however long. For me, it's only been a week, so I couldn't brag about that. I was in Germany last week and I didn't get to go to church. Sorry about that. But I can start feeling really good about myself. I can look at people that are not living right. I can look at, I can look at somebody that does drugs or does alcohol, and I can go, man, I don't drink. Man, look at me. I'm pretty good. And the problem is I'm comparing myself to the wrong standard. And that's what these Pharisees were doing. They were going, hey, look at me. I'm not a tax collector. I'm not somebody that's taking your money and giving it to the Romans. I'm not a sinner. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a scribe. I'm somebody. They were comparing themselves to the wrong standard. 
You see, we can get really good about comparing ourselves to other people. But this is what we should be comparing ourselves to. The man that gave his life for our sin. When you start comparing yourself to that, then you should start feeling a huge streak of humility. A huge streak of, I need your mercy and I need your grace. That's what he was trying to get across to these Pharisees and these scribes. There's a bigger thing at play here than your self-righteousness, older brother. There's a bigger thing at play here, Pharisees and scribes, than fasting three times more than you, than you have to because of the law, because you're so good. There's a bigger thing at play. <clears throat> Romans 3 and 10 says that uh, no one is righteous, not one. There's not a one of us that are righteous enough to deserve heaven on our own. That's his point. We talked about Luke, Luke chapter 18 a little bit. I'm not sure if somebody's going to speak on this, so I won't talk about it very long. But this is the story of the two men that go up to the temple to pray and the Pharisees that thinking God that he's not like other men and the sinners beating, beating his chest in humility. And That's his point here to these scribes and these Pharisees. That ends with these words, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the message that he's trying to get across to these scribes and these Pharisees as he opens the chapter in the very first verse is you want to exalt yourself here on this earth? Enjoy it because that's it for you. You want to humble yourself here on this earth? You'll be exalted. You'll be lifted up someday with the almighty God in presence. That's what he's getting at. But there's also some other stories here. There's the story of his undying love for us. That he is seeking us. That he'd leave heaven to come and find the one. That he loves us beyond compare. That he's all merciful. That he wants everyone to be saved. There's so many great stories here in Luke chapter 15. You can dissect that parable and get so much out of it. The son, the younger son, the older son, the comparison of the two. The father that stayed home but saw his son afar off. He was looking every day, hoping his son was going to come home. Hoping his son was going to change his mind and come back to the fold. That's the invitation this morning. If you need to come back to the fold, if there's things that you've done, if there's if you just need help, you need the church, you need to become a member of the church, the Lord left heaven to come to this earth to seek the one, to seek those that are lost and to ask them to come back and get into the fold of the church. If we can help you, come while we stand and sing.